Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation DS9, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, I am sitting in a very hot room in the Echo Park neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. These are the waning days of my interregnum between having an apartment and... uh, I am really excited to have climate control back in my life. <laughs> wow, this sucks! <laughs> you guys, you guys do Airbnb with uh, working air conditioning as an unchecked button in your in your search. This one has air conditioning in the bedroom, but uh, there's nowhere to sit and set up a computer in the bedroom. Right. So, uh, yeah, they've all had AC, but this one is just particularly toasty in the parts that aren't the bedroom so when are you going to be doing pod from the brand new bad character studios that will be not next episode but the episode after and i think the first thing i will record in there ideally will be our super secret new project right more dark episodes (laughs) How are you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm doing great, Ben. I it's it's the morning after I went to go see Friends of the Pod, the Doughboys, last night in Seattle. Those guys are very funny and delightful. Oh my god, they are so fucking funny. I yeah. was laughing my ass off. Makes me jealous how funny they are. <laughs> I I felt the same way seeing them do their show live so soon after we came off of our tour. Like, it's just fucking guys and mics and no audiovisual accompaniment at all it was just wall-to-wall laughs uh just a great show if they are touring near you highest recommendation to go see the doughboys i great. Uh, i felt the same way and then a few people whose opinion i really value told me that they thought we were really on to something with our live show oh, that's um, good to hear I was out to I was out to drinks with uh, Jordan and Jesse of Jordan Jesse Go and Dan Kennedy the mm. other night, and Dan Kennedy like made a point of saying that our live show was really amazing and hilarious to him, and he's wow. never <laughs> never really watched Star Trek uh, or listened to our show before. That's huge. Dan yeah. Dan Kennedy's a god in my country. Yeah. Dan Kennedy's one of the greatest to ever do it. He's the host of the Moth Podcast, another great show. Look at you relocating to L.A. and doing power lunches slash power <laughs> drinks with Jordan, Jesse, and Dan Kennedy. That's great, yeah. right? That'll, that's a yeah. soft landing for you over there. Mm-hmm. One other thing I thought was real funny about this Doughboy show, Ben, was that uh, this was night two of a three-night tour that they're doing, and they yeah. were feeling rugged. <laughs> Like, and I was like, oh my God, guys, it's only night two. (laughs) Like, what is this, amateur hour? Look, I mean, you and I got into some 
some competitive eating on our tour that that had some ramifications. And by competitive sure. eating, I mean you competitively eating at me <laughs> in an attempt to draw me into some sort of eating war that I was yeah. unwilling to participate in. But they do yeah. it professionally, man. And uh, You saw the tanks and planes of my consuming four pounds of nachos arrayed on the battlefield and you packed up your sword and shield and ran for the hills. I wanted peace at that. I wanted peace when I saw the entire sheet pan full of nachos that you took down in like 20 minutes. <laughs> um, yeah. Only well, Ben could go to nachos sheet pan. Those, those guys have a lot more stage time than us in their history, both right. having been, you know, in the birthday boys and being... You know, just uh, regular denizens of UCB stages yeah. near and far. There's something uh, to be said about natural comfort on stage, and that is them. Yeah, but by the same token, their show is a far more self-destructive enterprise than ours. So, Lordy, you I really said don't it. envy them that. <laughs> not at all. I, I salute them, but I do not envy them. <laughs> Well, Adam, do you want to get into... This is actually... We should probably address this a little bit. Uh, and we're recording this before our Emissary episode goes out. So I'm sure we will have received numerous Facebooks and tweets and Reddit notes about how we have the order wrong. Mm-hmm. But uh, the episode we're here to talk about today is Past Prologue, which was filmed second... Which, which was filmed third, but aired second. And so I think some streaming platforms have them in filming order, and some st- streaming platforms have the episodes in air date order. We're which is a it- thing that can be confusing, because I know I watch this show on Netflix, and on Netflix, at least, the order has a man alone before past yeah. prologue. But for the purposes of the Greatest Generation program, we will be proceeding from airing order which has past prologue coming first. Right. Let's do it, Ben. It's season one, episode two, past prologue. Ben, this episode sort of opens on an awkward first date between Dr. Bashir and a man we will come to know as Garrick. A Cardassian by birth, obviously. The lone Cardassian denizen of the station uh the it's a it's a real meat scary (laughs) (laughs) yeah garrick deploys a sort of hostile politeness that seems really familiar to me like i don't know if you know anyone like this ben whose politeness is is so (laughs) off-putting and threatening yes but uh but this immediately makes garrick into a threat for Bashir, and Bashir is super nervous about him. Yeah, the politeness feels loaded. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you can hear Bashir dropping nuts and bolts in his chair. (laughs) There seems to be a sort of rainforest cafe setting where everyone takes their meals. We got them trapped in rainforest cafe. In the promenade, too. Like, it's, uh... They're really trying to shine up this dump, and... Not sure it's working. No one wants to take their lunch at their desk to save time at this point, that's for sure. It's sort of the crunchy coffee shop that opens in a neighborhood that's getting gentrified, but that doesn't last 10 years into 
the gentrification. Sure. You know, it's like uh, this is uh, this is a transitional white people restaurant, but not the final resting state of rich white assholes taking over a neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, Garrick will develop into a foundational character on this show. At this point, Bashir's paranoia is totally founded, but also like this just might be the way Garrick is. And there might not be any hostility meant at this point, but we're very much seeing this through Bashir's terrified eyes. Yep. Back on the bridge of the station, we see that uh, Kira has had a little bit of a haircut after having uh, data hair. She's got <laughs> season three data hair in episode three of the show. Yeah. A little high and tight for Major Kira. High and Kira. tight. And I think that Nana Visitor actually suggested this. She's, she's of the opinion that Kira was... So kind of eye on the prize as a character that she probably wouldn't be doing a an involved hairdo right. every time. And I think that's like a really insightful thing for an actor to choose. And, you know, I think there is there's so much pressure on women in Hollywood to be like extremely pretty in a very conventional way. And uh, I think it's a, a very, like, cool and bold choice that she made uh, with that. I was surprised that they allowed her the latitude to make that kind of character decision uh, in how she looked. And and yeah. by surprised, I mean, like, pleasantly surprised. I think it's great that, yeah. th- that they would allow her to bring that up and actually take it for action. It's sort of amazing that the executive producer didn't want to take more advantage of what a pretty lady she is. <laughs> You know, speaking of that, my wife had an observation about the show because we've been watching this together so far in that this is a show filled with good-looking actors, much more so than Star Trek The Next Generation was her observation. I'm not sure yeah. I totally believe that, but so far at, uh, I mean, look, I suppose your feelings on that depend largely on if you think Colomini is an attractive man. <laughs> ben, I have to say, I think I do. He's a, he's a good-looking dude. He's very fuckable. But if, but if you don't think Colomini is good-looking, then I think you would probably disagree with my wife's opinion. Does your wife have a crush on Colomini? I think that's what... That's actually what she said. In, that's what she said without saying it, Ben. Jesus. You don't look anything like Colomini. I know. <laughs> Colomini's the guy she told me not to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> Colomini, your wife's hall pass? You know what? What a cool fucking hall pass that is. Like, <laughs> talk about unconventional. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, what are all these curly hairs doing around the house? <laughs> <laughs> Are these pubes or what's going on? Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. They rescue this uh, this Gaetana Los from a Bajoran ship that's under attack by Cardassians. Yeah, it's chasing the ship towards the station. And it's like, it's one of those, like, make a break for the border things where if the Bajoran ship can get across the border into Mexico, then (laughs) the Cardassians won't have any jurisdiction to continue the chase. Right. And so 
they get this guy aboard and immediately the Cardassians are like, you got to give us that guy. He's bad news bears. He's a criminal and we've got to charge him with some crimes. This guy asks for asylum right away. He's like, look, man, yeah. these guys are chasing me. I want your asylum so I can be safe. And this puts Cisco in a little bit of a pickle. Yeah, because the, you know, the, the piece is still very fresh and new. I mean, we know from season seven that the that the armistice and peace treaty between the Federation and the Cardassians is still fragile more than a year after th- these events take place. So, uh, you know, pissing off the guys with the warships parked on your border is probably not the easiest choice for Cisco to have to make. Right. So Tana Los is a part of this Bajoran splinter group that is sort of painted as a terrorist organization. It's sort of Hezbollah for blonde guys with super 90s haircuts. <laughs> Blezbala? <laughs> what is that? Blonde Hezbollah? <laughs> oh, that is a, uh, a strained portmanteau, if ever there was one, Adam. All of my portmanteaus are strained. <laughs> And, uh, I want to have that looked at. This uh, this guy has a little bit of a history with Kira. They are uh, they are acting very familiar right away. Yeah, he recognizes her when when he pops up on the transporter pad, and she's got some feelings, man. The whole the whole relationship with Kira and Cisco from the first from the premiere episode has continued to now. Kira is popping off all the time. You're not seriously considering handing Tana over to the Cardassian. She is still undermining Sisko at every turn. And this is a real problem, especially in this episode, because she is inserting herself into this conflict because this guy and her are buds. And the question I have for you at this point, Ben, is... Is the show's depiction of women up to this point better or worse than it was in Star Trek The Next Generation? Star Trek The Next Generation famously treated its women characters as potted plants and background characters, but Kira so far is pegging the needle in the other direction in in terms of like recklessness and and loudness and like undermining a a sort of command structure. Is that better or worse? <laughs> I'd say it would be pretty hard to be worse. Yeah. Um, I I think that's an interesting take, which I hadn't really considered, that like the like going so hard in the opposite direction has made her into like a an irrational nag, which is not necessarily a flattering thing either. But I feel like both Kira and Dax have like three dimensions to their characters already. Yeah. And that's already got got this show off to a better start. Sure. I tell you what I really didn't like was Cisco putting his hands on her on the promenade. What the fuck, Cisco? What did, did he do? He like grabbed her by the arm and flung her around and he's like, Don't you fucking tell me what to do with this ton of low sky. Like like <laughs> fall in line and follow me or whatever. Like Oh man. Yeah, it was a little disturbing. I missed that part. Yeah. I must have been looking at my phone. Sure. What are we doing here? <laughs> so the main conflict of the of the episode is like what to do about this guy. This guy has promised that he's not going to blow shit up anymore. He's not going to be a terrorist. 
He wants the asylum. And he also has some evidence of like having been very badly picarded up by the Cardassians. I mean, he's got he's got real gnarly injuries all over himself that are consistent with a uh, Gulmaset treatment. They sort of give him that that Rambo from First Blood in the in the jail treatment. Like they <laughs> they take off a shirt and they're like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, they're hitting him with the hose from across the room. David Caruso's like throwing up in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> they're all doomed, Adam. They're all doomed. <laughs> you got Tana Los on Deep Space Nine. You better just remember one thing: a good supply of body bags. <laughs> His relationship with the Major is not really one of old friends. Like, they they definitely encountered each other, and, like, the commander even asks Kira if she was ever a part of the Kon Ma, and she's like, no, I was a freedom fighter, but I was never that extreme. If I had been, I would not be working with the provisional government now. It's very clear that they were, like, more similar in their goals than not back in the bad old days. But Tana's really, like, working the Major. Like, definitely playing her psychologically. Yeah, for such a strong character up to this point, Kira is especially subject to his manipulations. In a way I found fairly disappointing, you know? Like, she is so headstrong and powerful as a character that, like, Mm -hmm. this fucking blow-dry job... uh, (laughs) Like, for him to be the one to get one up on her was sort of sort of sad to me. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting tweak to the character that she's got this kind of soft spot. Yeah. So Tana has sort of attracted the attention of Garrick, of all people. And during another Garrick-Bashir interaction... Over lunch, he's like, uh, you know, this Tana guy, not really that great of a dude, probably. I mean, I'm just guessing here. You know, what am I? I'm just a clothier, just a simple tailor, just talking to my to my new doctor buddy. Is this a direct John Le Carre thing? Oh, you I know don't know. How he always has the tailors and spies in his books. Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm unfamiliar. I mean, I haven't read any of it, but I know, that, you know, like the tailor of Panama and Tinker Tailor Soldier, Soldier Spy and all that is like, I don't know. I, I wish I knew more about it so I could understand whether that was an, an intentional thing. Is that a no? No. So at this point in the episode, we start to realize that Garrick is sort of an intelligence asset for the station that Odo isn't even at this point. Like, Lursa and Bator show up. Klingons have an odd sense of style, don't you agree? And Garrick's got, like, the angle on all of it. Like, he sees them, he lays back in the cut and he sees them talking, and then he sees Tana talk to other blonde Hezbollah people and is like putting the pieces together and he's sort of like telling but not telling Bashir what he thinks is happening and Bashir is just so fucking dumb he's he is so dumb in this episode like willfully (laughs) stupid and scared because every time he talks to Garrick he goes right back up to the bridge and talks to Cisco and he's like I need some guidance yes doctor commander 
this Garrett guy is creeping me out. He's telling me I need to get a new wardrobe. I need to show up at the shop at a specific time. Lursa and Batora here, they kind of scare me as people. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't really know what to do. And Cisco, not having been in on the conversation at all, is like, go get a suit. It's obvious this is code for something. <laughs> but I think that's such a fun character trait for, for Bashir to have. Like, sucking ass at subterfuge. It's yeah. like so on brand given the like brief glimpses we've gotten of him already which is like you know asking for a date before he's introduced himself to his new boss he's truly the buffoon of the series at this point it's fun for that to be the doctor yeah like in a weird way he's he's got the like he's got the job of having Riker like swagger but also having like data data like ineptitude yeah like what if commander Riker were an idiot and a coward <laughs> that's what Bashir is at this point yeah it's 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 like me you know in a lot of ways I identify with this character more than anyone <laughs> I never pick up on anything Adam <laughs> so Tana has like he's gotten provisional asylum mm-hmm. because the you know the Cardassians are gonna come aboard to like make their case or whatever but the commander is really holding shit up for them and making sure that every little regulation is followed before they're actually allowed onto the onto the thing. And he starts going around, and he's like he's like less a terrorist guy than like a UKIP MAGA type guy. He's like Nigel Farage of <laughs> Bajorans. He's like I don't want any humans or. Cardassians or or shapeshifters or anybody not Bajoran on this station or on Bajor. I want them all gone. I don't care what it costs us to make that happen. He's like a total xenophobe. And that really uh, starts to drive a wedge between him and Kira. When you're a blonde-haired, blue-eyed xenophobe, all sorts of things come to mind, Finn. <laughs> really? Like what? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll think of that something. Was, that was an incomplete thought. Yeah, well, when we come up with some blonde-haired, blue-eyed xenophobe ideas, we can edit them into the episode later. What do you say? That sounds great. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, Lursa and Mator coming onto the station was a real thrill for me. Me too. I felt like they looked a lot different in their appearance, and the thing that I, I figured out... I looked to see if they were the same actors or not, because I felt the same way, but they are. The reason they look so different is because they were never shot from below on TNG. And in Deep Space oh. Nine, they're shot at, like, chest height or, or even below, and they look yeah. so different from that angle. I felt the they same really way. They make, really make the camera focus on the underboob. Right, right. Yeah, they are both really rocking decolletage. <laughs> a pretty major way like Odo Odo like subjects them to like you know he takes their weapons away or whatever but we know that Klingons have like pieces of weapons hidden in their boots and stuff what do you think yeah. Lursa and Bator have under their boobs yeah are they really do they really have the cup size that they're representing or is there a lot of uh, materiel in there <laughs> <laughs> we may never know What's going on here is Tana and Lursa and Bator are conducting some kind of nefarious secret trade, but Lursa and Bator are also in talks with Garrick about 
turning Tana over to the Cardassians for money. We are not here to buy. We are here to sell. So I think they're kind of trying to get paid twice on this job. Yeah. Where they, they get something from him that they want, but then they also fuck him over and get something, uh, get some money from the Cardassians. They're like, they're, they're feeling like they're out in the cold with no armies and no, and no great house anymore. And they're trying to drum up money and, and, uh, equipment so that they can, uh, get out there and become the, you know, the general purpose criminal element of the galaxy that they were born to be. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around this deal that Tana's trying to set up with Lorsen Bator. Like, we know Tana's trying to purchase bomb-making material from them, but right. what he is... He has, like, one half of a bomb, and he needs the other half from them. I guess Lursa and Bator are in it for money. They say that much. Tana's in it for the, the bomb-making gear, but why would Tana ever work with Lursa and Bator? Like, that's how desperate he is. Like, Lursa and Bator can't have a great reputation, in the galaxy, right? Like they're known fugitives. <laughs> they are, they are really bad people. And Tana thinks he's badass enough to take them on. Tana, who doesn't really have a ship anymore, that Bajoran ship was no match for the Cardassian ships. Like, what does he think he's gonna fight back with against a Klingon bird of prey? Like he's in way over his head. Yeah, he's sort he really of bad is. at this. He he's he's not great. I uh, the last note that I wrote at the end of uh, watching this episode is uh, spoiler alert. Tana kind of sucked at his job. Yeah, he really um, does. But it's also it's also complicated by what a racist he is. Like the fact yeah. that he needs aliens to help him complete his project of dismissing all the aliens from the station is bonkers. Racism is just a bad motivation for any action, and it it leaves you subject to making some really bad decisions. That's what we learned here. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you. (laughs) It's really powerful. I'm just trying to help, Ben. So there's a fun scene where Bashir is like in the dressing room listening through the, the drapes as... Garrick and Lursa and Bator haggle over a price for for Tana Losa's head. Let us haggle. And and that's where we get the get the kind of final confirmation that Garrick is more than he appears to be. I am no more than what I seem to be. He is making negotiations on behalf of the Cardassian government, which makes him a char- you know, like like knowing that going forward, a character that everybody in the Starfleet portion of Deep Space Nine has to be really careful about. Right. He's the sort of deal maker that you might expect Quark to be. But but he isn't, you know? Like this uh this Garrett guy is a wheeler dealer in a way that no yeah. one else is. He outquarks Quark every time. During this investigation, Kira has a little bit of a professional and personal breakdown and goes into Odo's office for some counseling. Odo basically describes her problem to her and Kira realizes that she's sort of with she's sort of uh, between a rock and a hard place, right? Like she can either help Tana and 
and put aside her weird feelings about whether or not Tana is acting for good or or not follow Tana and be painted as some sort of traitor to her people. And this is something that she's struggling with a ton. And Odo basically tells her, like, you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. But, like, this Tana guy is going to be bad no matter what you do. Like, there's really... You can't change this guy. And that was what I got out of that conversation. But wh- another thing I got out of it was just how close Odo and Kira are. Like, they're, they're more than just professional friends. Like, they are counselors to each other. I think that that's something that there was more of in seasons one and two of TNG and less of in later seasons. Like, right. seeing people sub the captain, like, bounce things off each other for moral and professional support. Yeah, I think so, too. It's Like, it always it, seemed like the captain had to get involved if Worf was having, like, a work problem. Like, you, know? you don't need to have a counselor figure on this show if you just have people being good friends to each other, because that is, like, one of the roles of friendship, uh, professional mm-hmm. or otherwise. Yeah, and uh, I agree, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> we're, really, uh, we're really clipping these, these tangents. <laughs> mm-hmm. We don't need a tangent. That's not what this show's about. Odo does a really fun bit of investigation wherein he turns himself into a rat <laughs> and spies on a conversation that Lursa Bator and Tana have. Ben, the question I have for you at this point about Odo is like, how is it that he has a certain mass as a person? He has certain mass as a liquid, but then he can become less massive as a rat? Is that rat, like, does that rat have a density that is many times the density of a normal rat? Like, does that <laughs> rat weigh 200 pounds? If that rat flew through the air and kicked <laughs> you, it would knock you across the room. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't understand how Odo works physically Yeah. when he does the transformation. I hope that's something we figure out a little bit more about. Because that would be nope. fun if, like, he became an ant with human strength. Because doesn't he also become a bag at some point? Yeah, like, yeah, a bag that people put gold into. And they carry it around, so it's yeah. no big deal. So, yeah. so Odo not only has the power to change shape, but also how much he weighs, which uh, that's pretty great, you know? Yeah, that totally contradicts the idea of, of a totally massive rat, like a, a heavy rat, because right. if, if, if he was a heavy rat before, he'd have to be a heavy bag later. <laughs> and uh, and Cork was carrying that bag like it was just any other bag. Or our Ferengi's <laughs> super super strong, and he didn't notice that it was that it was a very heavy bag. I feel like we'd know if Ferengi's were super strong. That they should have established that from the start. That would have been great. Yeah, they have these whips, and they walk funny, and. <laughs> They and they have super don't strength. know their own strength. Yeah. <laughs> they have Lenny from of mice and men level strength. <laughs> They're always accidentally tearing the clothes off of women. <laughs> they just don't know their own strength. Whoops. <laughs> just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic, so that no one had the chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic. Tana negotiates with Kira for a shuttle. He's like, look, I have the secret to this whole thing. I can bring peace to the quadrant. We can end this war. We can end our hostilities between each other. We can get these Federation people off our backs. Wouldn't that be great? All you have to do 
is procure a runabout so we can go on a mission I can't tell you anything about. And Kira fucking does it. Yeah, well, she has talked the... She's, like, basically talked the commander into we need to see what his ultimate plan is, and the only way we're going to do that is if we give him a shuttle. And not only do we give him a shuttle, but I need to go with him. We have to give them the runabout. Agreed. And I have to be on it. Not agreed, Major. So this is the first big test of Cisco's trust that Kira is not a terrorist. Like she seems like she might be. It's an imperfect plan because you know what the perfect plan is, Ben? Is if Odo became Kira and went on that mission. But he can't. I, th- I think that's like a limitation. Like he can't do the nose. Ah, that's so fucked. <laughs> He's like, he's great at being a rat, but he sucks at being a humanoid. <laughs> That's too bad. That, like, he is flawlessly good at being a rat. That really stops a lot of storylines before they start, huh? It really does. Very limiting. I, it would be really fun if he was as, as bad at being other objects as he was at being a humanoid. So, like, you know, somebody would walk in and there would be like a radio in the corner, but it would look like the radio was made out of like sculpy clay. <laughs> I wonder if he hangs out on the promenade as ships come in, just looking for people with shitty noses. He's like, I could be that guy. <laughs> oh, that Morn guy. I could nail that. <laughs> look at that guy's awful nose. <laughs> Owen Wilson. <laughs> I'm in. I could be Barry Manilow. <laughs> <laughs> Alice Cooper, I could be that guy. <laughs> Do you think anyone on the station's heard of Barbara Streisand? <laughs> He's Steve Martin from Roxanne. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a load ornament you got there, pal. <laughs> so Tana and Kira are on the runabout, and uh, it's at this point Tana discloses what's going on when this Klingon bird of prey appears. Kira starts piecing together what's going on. There's a deal here. There's a deal for mo- for bomb making supplies. Kira's not happy about it because she's party to it now. She's had this moral quandary the entire time of like not wanting to support what he's been up to. Um, and it really lacked it, it really lacked impact for me because you know we just assume because it's Lursa and Bator that what he's up to is really bad mm-hmm. but because she doesn't know it feels like really flimsy in the script like the script doesn't yeah. have the conviction of giving her a real a, a, like a tangible choice that she has to make nor do the other characters really allow her the sort of latitude to act on her own because uh cisco and dax have tailed them in a runabout of their own only their runabout has a roll bar on it sort of a sporty runabout they have three runabouts on the station they're all named after rivers and they all have like slightly different aftermarket modifications like one is lowered one has ground effects one has a huge spoiler and a bunch of window decals and uh yeah the one with the the huge spoiler is is kind of tailing the the one that kira and tana are on making sure that they never get into too much trouble so once the deal gets made it's sort of a race back to the station and the wormhole 
like Tana sort of making this up on the fly. He realizes that they're being tailed not only by Dax and Cisco, but by a Cardassian ship. None of them are really close enough to to overtake them in terms of speed. And so Tana's ordering Kira to to take the runabout back to the station and then to the wormhole. And and uh and Kira's like, You're gonna fucking blow up the station? You can't do that. And Tana's like, No way, I got other plans. I'm gonna <laughs> blow up the wormhole. And Kira's like, You can't do that either. You're gonna spread this radiation all over the place. So Kira in a great moment in Wheelman history like sort of jerks the wheel to the side toward the wormhole at full speed they sort of like hit three wheel motion into the wormhole and yeah. they do a little bit of star trek fighting while while uh while tana is off balance yeah it's uh, it's good times it's i don't think the first time we've seen somebody uh use use a an evasive maneuver in a in a shuttle to knock somebody off their feet, but uh, it's a lot of fun. And Tana's like desperately trying to get the launch controls going for his his bomb, and she's desperately trying to like pull him away from it. But he gets to it, but it's too late. They're through the wormhole. It fires the bomb, and uh, it just goes off into space and explode out there without harming anything. Is it going to irradiate the gamma quadrant? It's hard to tell because no one talks about the consequences of this thing blowing up such a short distance from the other side of this thing. But, I mean, if it's as dangerous to explode on the station side of the wormhole, it has to be just as bad on the other side of it. Or is it blowing up the wormhole that would have made the radiation? I don't know, dude. I don't think anyone's concerned about that. So I'm not going to be either. Yeah. <laughs> wow, uh, Bajor really had a great opportunity there, but the uh, path to another world just turned into a super fun site. So, bad news for us. Like, the idea that Tana would be, like, hailed as a hero of the people for doing that is so fucking crazy. Yeah. He's a real madman. He's a madman and an idiot. It's amazing that he sees reason when Cisco is like, hey, dude, you can either turn yourself in or we'll let the Cardassians blow you up. Right, right. Yeah, so Cisco and Dax sort of pull their police cruiser in front of the other runabout and uh, take Tana into custody, yeah? Yep. My love. Yeah, he gets he gets arrested. Calls Kira a traitor. One day you'll understand. A traitor. Which is a real punch to the gut for her. It's like like the main way to insult her is to say that she's insufficiently pro Bajor. Do you think it hurt more to receive an open handed punch to the face from <laughs> Tana or to be called a traitor by Tana? Mm. Kinda kinda even money. Yeah. I'm going to say. I think so, too. Man, the uh, the Cardassians really did not observe ADA compliance when they built DS9. Every doorway has, like, a step a step over. The halls all have, like, have like bars across the floor. It's really to, like, submarine-like in terms yeah. of its if it's little, uh, I don't know what, are those, those aren't portholes, but, like, the doors. 
with raised rims around them. Yeah, they're like gear-looking doors. Yeah. Yeah. Really uh, really an accessibility nightmare, this station. <laughs> we sort of end the episode on a sad note with, uh, with Major Kira's mixed feelings about her role in the ongoing Bajoran struggle for independence. That's the note we end on. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Ben? Uh, I kind of liked it. It's definitely a better second episode than than TNG had, which is not like the standard I think we should hold these up to by. Like, is this a better season five, episode four than... for for second episodes, I think there's a special consideration because you've kind of gone through the work of introducing all the characters and now it's like, let's throw an adventure at them that doesn't have anything to do necessarily with the like main plot of the series. And, uh, and I think it's an interesting story. And uh, if, if Tana had been... I think the, the two things that kind of like knock against this for me are that Tana is bad at what he's doing like he is not a capable villain and also uh, that you know that Kira is not really torn in two directions ever like it's sort of presented as though she might get uh, get into a moral quandary but she never really is like she never really believes in his cause right right and I think for there to be true stakes in this episode, she has to in a more credible way that that she she doesn't quite pull off. Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way. I really, it's nice to get a sep- second episode in the series that tosses us right into what it's like to be in this part of the universe, which is going to involve most of the time policing these two sides. Like that's what life is going to be in this sort of uneasy true state that they're in. So it was neat to get one of those right off the bat. Yeah. And, and like a, a pretty interesting and generally well-drawn one, you know, right. And also fun to, fun to have some, some corny Klingon bullshit going on. Yeah. I mean, the more characters from TNG that show up in the show, the more I really crave those moments. I mean, I'm sure they will be more and more fleeting as we go, but uh, those are nice things to hang on to. It's yeah. helping with my transition into this show. <laughs> uh, Lursa and Bator's breasts help my transition into the yeah, show quite a bit, actually. Easing yourself into the Deep Space Nine hot tub. <laughs> uh, ben, do we have any Priority One messages? Oh, we surely do, Adam. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first priority one message is from Theo, and it's for Kurt. It goes like this. Last year, my husband Kurt wrote you just after our son Sagan was born. Sagan is about to turn one, and Kurt's parental leave is coming to an end. Long walks with Sagan while his dad listens to The Greatest Generation will carry on, of course. Kurt, you are a wonderful husband and a wonderful father. Lots of love from your wife, Theo. Wow. Aww. Little Sagan 
has been alive for the uh, like. There's not been a day that Sagan's been alive that the Greatest Generation hasn't been a thing. <laughs> oh, what a kid. cloud to grow up under. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, wow, what a touching, uh, what a touching note, Theo. Uh, so cool that uh, Kurt was able to spend a very long paternity leave like that. Yeah, no kidding. Jeez, very fortunate. Yeah. Ben, our second priority one message is from John from Philadelphia. It is to Ben and Adam. I think that refers to us. <laughs> message goes like this. Hey, guys. I just want to say thanks and great job on your tour. Caught the first half of the Philly show, but missed the end because I brought my wife. <laughs> Anyways, oh, thanks for all you do. Oh, oh no. Sh- John, that was such a perfect way to say that. <laughs> We walked someone? Wow. Man, the Philly show was probably our least full room. Maybe, I can't believe we walked someone. Maybe John's wife got food poisoning and it didn't have anything to do with us at all. Because it was sort of like, the Philly show was like the sort of dinner theater show. Uh, <laughs> Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. The uh, venue and our uh, tour booking folks got their wires crossed a little bit and they set it up like a dinner cabaret rather than a comedy show so, right. so it had a weird feel to it but uh people were expecting us to joust as they <laughs> ate their cornish game hens yeah uh, i am sorry if we offended your wife <laughs> but uh feel like it was maybe worth it for that p1 <laughs> hey john thanks for trying <laughs> Our apologies. Uh, If you'd like to send a Priority One message, uh, you can do that. And it's a fun way to get your message in front of thousands of viewers, but also a way to support the program. You just go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Personal messages are 100 bucks, and commercial messages are 200 bucks, and they support this show. Thanks, guys. Darmok, Angelad, and Tanaga. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool 
And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I sure did, Ben. I think uh, for a couple of reasons... Reasons like leveraging her way into a different haircut and <laughs> really just acting the shit out of everyone else around her. I'm going to give my Shimoda to Nana Visitor. Yeah. Could you imagine if Worf or could you imagine if Michael Dorn told the makeup department like, you know, uh, I think I could go for a little less loaf in episode <laughs> two. I'm really not feeling the time I have to spend in makeup. <laughs> and uh, also, I think it would help me develop my character a little better. Like, Michael Dorn never did that, so he had six hours of makeup every day. Nana Visitor, like, successfully negotiated an episode two change in costuming and makeup and it and totally pulled it off. So that was sort of a, a, a big balls move. And also, she acts so big in this episode. This is, like, a few episodes in a row now where... I don't think anyone has told her that she's not the star of this show. And I think that's great. Yeah. I love it. And keep believing to, that to me, like no one's having more fun than her. She's, she's getting haircuts. She's getting punched in the face and punching other people in the face. Like she's having a great time clearly. So Nana I mean, visitor I for like, me. I feel like in this episode, she kind of is the star of the show. Totally. Yeah. What about you, Ben? My drunk Shimoda is Garrick. Uh, for the reason that this character is, uh, Written, I think, kind of badly, <laughs> but the 
I, th- I think the actor is Andrew Robinson. Mm-hmm. Man, he is fun in this role. Yeah. Like, he has just got a shit ton of charisma, and it is really, really fun to watch him Garrick around. And uh, I'm glad that he became sort of a regular uh, figure on this on this show. A lesser actor would have fucked this up, really, because everything he's doing isn't on the page, you know? Yeah. You gotta you get a guy over smarming the Garrick role and it's just cheesy and bad. But but uh this actor really plays it perfectly. Yeah. And and yeah. he's really like very early on in the series, like a, a favorite character right now. I want more of him. Yeah. He uh has definitely not lost track of how many times Dirty Harry fired his gun. <laughs> Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine is Season 1, Episode 3, A Man Alone. Odo must prove his innocence when a known enemy of his is found brutally murdered in a hollow suite. Oh, that sounds like fun. Uh, A hollow anything isn't a frequent setting for a murder. No. And uh, this is... uh, it's sounding like a Star Trek is a place. Yeah, I think Does the same not? thing. Yeah. I I mean, what if the show was just murder of the week? <laughs> Real law and order Star Trek. That could be great. That could be really fun. Well, uh that's uh what we'll be watching next time. Did we have we talked at all about what our plan is? Are we gonna try and replace vetoes with something else in this in this edition of the greatest generation, Adam? Oh, I don't know, Ben. I I am so unfamiliar with this show that I think uh I think to have a veto would be a totally irresponsible thing to to use. Right. And so I so I, to be honest, I'd be in favor of not having vetoes at all, but I'm yeah. sort of feeling like we need something sporting. We to, need something that we can fuck with each other about. And yeah. I don't think it can be next episode related though, because no. We're gonna we're gonna both have problems remembering whether this is an episode or not that we want to veto. Well, we're both creative people. Maybe we'll come up with something as we go. Maybe somebody'll suggest something that we really like. No shortage of suggestions out there. That's for sure. <laughs> also no shortage of the amount of support we receive from the show. Uh those interested in supporting its ongoing production could go to maximumfund.org slash donate uh those donations keep the show alive ben uh we've also got some merch on the website on the tapatico site got some glasses and t-shirts really great stuff and more on the way we recently put up the poster and challenge coins from our last tour because we had a few extra of each so if you uh missed the tour or want to get some of that merch you can get some of that merch discussions on the show and uh any other show in the greatest gen universe uh, happen all the time over on Facebook and Reddit where uh, those places are easily searchable r slash greatest gen and uh, we got a Facebook page and a group over there too fun times you can use the hashtag greatest gen to discuss the show on Twitter Adam is on there as at cut for time and I'm on there as at Benjamin R A H R we should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusea for our theme music tweak and a lot of the other music you hear on the show and with that 
I end the show's now, Ben. Oh. <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> I'm the show ender now. <laughs> and with that, there you have it. We hope you'll join us next time for another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and another episode of The Greatest Generation DS9 that's been accused of murder and our alibi is a bucket. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.